Jazzcast Pros. The law states that we have to address equity, that we have to address disparities, that we have to address the systems by law. And so everything that we do is based on the law that created this office. So when people say, well, what are you doing? We are implementing the law. Read the law. Once you understand the law, you will see how the work we do just lays on top of that. It's a roadmap for a government to write a law, not an executive order, not a grant program, not something that can sunset in a year or five years. Like this is law. This office will exist, period. Yes, there's other equity offices throughout the the country. Yes, they're doing great work, but are they embedded into the system, right? We are here to serve a purpose. Greetings, this is uh, Pastor George Nicholas, Chair of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, and you are tuned in to Igniting Hope Podcast. This is a podcast that comes out of the work that we've been doing with the African American Health Equity Task Force, the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, and working on eliminating race-based health disparities. We don't believe that the fact that you're African American living in the city of Buffalo should be a determining factor or for your health outcomes. And we know that the data shows that people living in certain communities are at higher risk for chronic diseases, heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes, asthma. And it's all because of the social determinants of health, your lived conditions. So uh, recently, out of the work of the, the African American Health Equity Task Force, we set out to to really begin to start establish some institutions that could really focus on the work that needs to be done, especially as it relates to the social determinants of health and the health of African-American people here in, in Western New York. And out of that, <clears throat> we have created the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, uh, the University of Buffalo Community Research Institute, and then through the leadership of Chairwoman April Baskin, with the support of County Executive Mark Polencars, it was written into law, established into law. And that's very important that you understand this, that within the Department of Health in Erie County, established by law, there is a Department of Health Equity. And Kelly Wolford is providing the leadership in that department. One of the outputs that they have been working on is the publishing of the Health Equity in Erie County report that came out in January of this year. And it's a really comprehensive report that really shows the health disparities that currently exist in the county and entering into some conversation about why that is. And then It's our plan to help uh, to use this report as well as others to help influence public policy and and investments, specifically the 1115 waiver that's coming up uh, where there's going to be a a large investment. And so this document is really going to help us get a really a good understanding about what's really happening in our communities and more importantly, what are some of the things that we can do to bring help good health into our area. So 
to welcome Kelly into our space. And Kelly, good good day to you. So it's such a pleasure to see you. You know. Thank you, Pastor George. Um, first of all, I miss you so much. I'm thankful to be able to just have this conversation. I know it's for everybody else, but for the three of us to be together, you know, people don't know about Ebony behind the tree, but she's still here, right? And so I'm I'm just thankful and honored and blessed and, and all of the things. But the office is a little over a year old, right? I started in December of 21. So my anniversary was this past December. And when the law was written and the office was created, it was established with nine positions. So my position and then eight others, um, two epidemiologists, two um, project coordinators, two public health educators, uh, an administrative assistant, and uh, another position that became a, a grant specialist position. And so all of those positions are filled. The last person in that group of hirings was our grant specialist, Mel LeMay. And I thought that was going to be it. But we have since added the Children and Youth with Special Health Care Needs Program through New York State. Um, it is required that that program is embedded within local health departments across the country. And for our county, it's embedded within the Office of Health Equity. The incredible gift in that is that because we're talking about children and youth with special health care needs from an equity perspective, we're really talking about 90% of the children in Erie County because special health care needs, social determinants of health lens, right? We're talking transportation, we're talking food, we're talking education, we're talking housing, you know, all of the pieces of a, a child and young person's life that will help to make them healthier versus the typical um, narrow focus of special health care needs, you know, the things that would, would generally fall into that category. So that's a blessing to be able to use equity in this way to, to frame that program. It hasn't existed in Erie County um, in, in several years, and so we're rebuilding. So that position is filled, and we have an incredible social worker actually from ECMC coming over. I can't wait to tell everybody who she is we can't get, but I'm, I'm excited. I cannot wait to get her in the office to do the work. And then as of February 27th, there is a department within the Department of Health called Community Wellness. Community Wellness has been folded under the Office of Health Equity. So Community Wellness no longer exists. It is now the Office of Health Equity. And so um, we absorbed several positions, including a dental hygienist. Yes. So that is, we have to talk about that one. Um, she does these fluoride treatments for youth and it prevents cavities. You just put it on the gums of babies and when the teeth grow in, they have the covering of the fluoride. It, it's an incredible program. So that's going to be great because one of the things that we, you know, as we think about igniting hope, and this will be our sixth conference mm -hmm. coming up, and one of the areas of focus this year is going to be on oral health. So she um, oral health. It, so so we got a we got a workshop person yep. right ready. We don't have to go out of yep. town. So we're all we're all set for that because oral health has played such an important role in the health not only of our children. But yes. adults as well. But I mean, there's one to jump in. So that is incredible to have Katie on board. We have another public health educator, Betsy. Um, we have a outreach aide, Jessica. 
and uh, another administrative person, Meg, as well as a couple of additional fellows. So we're increasing in size by six, or we have increased by six folks, which wasn't a part of the original plan. So, you know, it's a blessing to know that um, we joke that our reward for working hard and doing well was an increase in staff. And that that's what it is. But we know that the equity work is inclusive of all of these areas. So we're excited in building and to be able to um, reach more people, reach more departments. Um, you know, we just uh, started implementing mental health first aid across Erie County. Um, with the addition of Jessica, we're able to offer mental health first aid in Spanish. So we'll be able to meet the needs of the people, right? And that is what we know is is what the work is all about. And so with the equity report, my focus was to empower Mike, our epidemiologist, Mike and Lara and Mel, to be able to write a report that tells the true story of the people. And that began at the foundation. Um, when someone picks up the report, um, yes, there's an executive summary and it, it is what it is. You know, it's a summary of the report. But this report starts out with a land acknowledgement and an enslavement and labor acknowledgement. That is, to me, a big deal when a government office um, signed off by the county executive is able to say that this is stolen land and we have made our home on land that does not belong to us. And we're going to work to build those relationships to ensure that we do all that we can to assist folks in the, the original occupants of this land to live their, their best and whole lives. And for a government agency to say, especially a local government agency at a county level, to say, look, slavery existed. We are here on the backs of enslaved people, most of whom were African. And to be able to acknowledge the role that Buffalo played in the liberation of people. And, and not only that, but people are still enslaved through incarceration. Um, call it what people can call it, whatever they want, but that's really what it is. Uh, and, and what that means to us as human beings, not just us as Black folks, but everyone. Uh, and, and the detriment that that plays on the lives of everyone. Um, one of the things that you always say, what I, I love, all boats rise together. And, you know, one half of the boat can't rise without the other part, right? You can't have a, a sinking ship and one side is above water, right? We're all going to eventually sink. So being able to just start the report from that place and then have real and honest conversations around data and what the data means and to begin to draw those lines um, between the social determinants of health, between policies that exist. And nothing in here is new, right? There is no new information in this report. How it's presented, I believe, and stand by that being new. And the fact that Erie County is producing this report is new. Right. Um, when we talk about community health in this county, we're talking about it in the context of health equity, which is huge. Because when you do that, then you meet, you have to talk about the things that create the inequalities. So the conversation pri prior to that was, well, we need to do something around community health, i.e. we got to provide more health services. And while expanding the service delivery system is part of an effective, comprehensive approach to, to bringing public health, 
without dealing with the factors related to health equity, you, you can't get there. And I think the key point I want to, to say now, the county health department, which is the health leader in this county, is saying that in order to, to talk about community health, we have to talk about health equity, right? And that brings in all the d- different pieces of county government, right? Because now the, you can begin to start saying, well, what are all these things outside of the healthcare system that impact health e- equity? And, and it's so important that in the health equity report, it says, and, and, and I love this, because a lot of problems that we have uh, as it relates to race, health equity, health disparity, social determinants of health, is this debate on whether they exist, right? And so one of the things are our more conservative friends, and I use that word loosely, will try to not engage in the debate around systemic and structural racism, social determinants of health, health inequalities, all the whatever phrase we want to use, and by, and, and by just saying it doesn't exist. This is just part of our imaginations or, you know, every everybody has opportunity, people just aren't working hard enough. But now for a government institution to say this, and I love this part, it says the fact, the fact that these behavior linked outcome rates are so different across racial and ethnic communities indicates there are systemic, societal, environmental, and or policy factors that are unequally beneficial or detrimental depending on the communities to which a person belongs, right? So you would expect to hear that statement out of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity or something right. like that, some of the stuff that right. we write, right? But now having a government entity with supportive documentation, right? So this isn't a, a memo that just says this. This is, this is and, and, and here's the data to support that statement. Can you talk a little bit about how huge that is? Huge. It is. And, you know, thinking back to 2014, when you guys had already been doing the work and you had the report and I know Rita and I were sitting together, we came to that first meeting and we were just looking at each other like, yes, this is it. We, we all in this, this, right. This is it. And to be able to build um, three incredible organizations. And I, I, I don't want people to miss that piece, right? We often, um, you know, get lost in the what can I do or the system will never change or, you know, we've been fighting and nothing has changed, but it's working. It is absolutely positively working. And so when we look at UB and how the Institute was created, really when it comes to institutes in the blink of an eye, right? Like that was... They just said, okay, we're doing it. For a government to write a law, not an executive order, not a grant program, not something that can sunset in a year or five years, like this is law. This office will exist, period. So when we consider that piece, to me, it blows my mind. Yes, there's other equity offices throughout the throughout the country. Yes, they're doing great work. But are they embedded into the system, right? We are here to serve a purpose. The law states that we have to address equity, that we have to address disparities, that we have to address the systems by law. And so everything that we do 
is based on the law that created this office. So when people say, well, what are you doing? We are implementing the law. Read the law. Once you understand the law, you will see how the work we do just lays on top of that. It's a roadmap. I often tell people that, you know, the the law gives us the opportunity to fail in that we can test, we can, we can pilot, we can look at policies, we can start drawing lines, and we don't have to draw a line for the sake of this line has to be the answer. We can draw the line to see if this is the answer. If it's not, then we have the freedom to be able to say, okay, so what about this line, right? Where, you know, oftentimes grants have deliverables, you got to have certain things done by a certain amount of time, and we don't have that constraint. And so we're able to test things in the office, we're able to pilot programs outside of the office to be able to make a change in people's lives. And when you look at even the structure of the office and the positions when they were written, they were written well-meaning, but they were not written in a way that speaks to our abilities to, to bring our whole selves to the workplace. And so the jobs required master's degrees. Listen, I got a master's degree. I got a bachelor's degree. I got an associate's degree. I got a a paralegal certificate. I got half a PhD. Like I believe in higher education, but it is not necessary for someone to have a master's degree to impact the system. And so I was able to change those job descriptions so that we could hire people that actually believe in the work and can do the work. Uh, The report itself is a reflection of the people in this office. Uh, And I encourage everyone to read it. It's written in everyday, you know, language. It's on the the Office of Health Equities website, which is erie.gov slash health equity. So erie.gov slash health equity. Um, and the, the health equity link is there, uh, as well as all the other things like the the newsletters and, and that kind of stuff is up there. And the law. So if someone wants to read the law, it's right there on the website as well. But it was written to meet the needs of organizations, right? Because when we talk about data, day, data being king, where is the data? Who has the staff to be able to comb through all of these data sets and websites, well, our office does have the staff and that's what they've been doing. And so one of the things we included in the report are two appendices. One is a list of uh, data sources, right? So everything that we wrote about has a data source. Um, That is listed. And then reports that address health equity issues are all listed in another appendices. So we didn't just write a report and keep the information to ourselves. We wrote the report and laid the data clear and plain for anybody to be able to go and grab it and see that they can make the same connections that we made because... We're not hiding behind um, just a list of references that would require you to go do the research. You ha- If you get the electronic version, you can click right on the report. You can click right on the data set to be able to see for yourself what the data says and what the data shows. This is so important because data helps inform policy and, and policy will bring resources, right? And so as we, when we go to the table, just kind of community, think about there were some challenges around District 1, and we're not trying to cast dispersions on anybody. But now we have an opportunity with the 1115 waiver coming up. It's been estimates. There may be up to $800 million of potential resources that are going to come into the region to address uh, health, uh, public health, and again, because of influence, 
The state is saying that health equity is going to be, and the social determinants of health uh, are going to be centered in how these, these dollars are dispersed. That is so, so important. And so now we're strategically positioned because we have these three entities, we have partnerships with all different types of organizations. We, we're bringing people together. We're not. We're being inclusive and not exclusive. We're not trying to grab all the money. So and, and to say that hey, we're the, you know, we're the gatekeepers or everything. We're trying to build a movement and get, and really the importance of getting this region to begin to think about as we talk about renaissance, as we talk about being being the city of good neighbors, as we talk about being a, a, a city or a region on the cutting edge of the 21st century and all that, that in order to be able to say those things and have those things be a reality, we have to address these current realities of health disparities. And this is how we're going to approach the work. Greetings, everyone. My name is Ra. Yes, I am the host of Father Torch. I would like to take this time to invite you in my discussions on very, very important topics of being a black and brown father in today's society. Being a parent, the other parent, we face trials and tribulations too. We have worries, we have feelings. Here at Father Torch, we promote the advocacy of being the dad you wish you had. Join me at fathertorch.com. And one of the things that you were talking about, Kelly, how the report reflects um, the, the, the people that worked on it. And, it. and in addition to that, it reflects the people that we're talking about in the report. Right. And so can you talk a little bit about the outreach that's, that was done and, and, is, and is ongoing in terms of talking to people in community about what, what's going on in terms of their own health status and how we're going to to glean that information and use it to help shape policy. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, the numbers are are only as good as the meat on the bones, right? The numbers are the, the, the bones themselves, but what does the body look like, right? And so we want to be able to tell the story of Erie County residents. And so we implemented a survey which we do speak about in the report. We're going to have another more in-depth report surrounding the survey. One, we're intentional in creating the survey. So we got a group of Erie County residents that do equity work to help us develop the survey. Then we took that survey and did targeted outreach. So we went to the communities that are most underrepresented. We went to the communities that are listed in the law, right? So we went to the Black community and even, you know, no group is a monolith, right? So we didn't just go to Juneteenth. We had to be specific and purposeful. So we went to community-based organizations. We went to small groups that meet. And in addition to that, we are going to have focus groups. So we have the survey and the survey reached over uh, 3,000 individuals in Erie County, which is huge. We worked with the Buffalo Center for Health Equity and the Witness Project. And the Witness Project went door to door in key zip codes and communities. I mean, a zip code is a big space. And so when you look at 14215, 
that includes, you know, what we call Judge's Row. Like that's where the riches of the rich live outside of the Delaware Park area. But it also includes the sickest and most impoverished folks who have been purposely placed in that situation. And so it's more than just zip code. They went to specific communities within the community to be able to make sure that their voices were heard. And that's what the data reflects. It reflects the voices of the people who have historically been left out of the conversation. When we look at national data and like policies and things that are created on a national level, they're using surveys that don't have 3,000 respondents. They are making laws and voting on things based upon what six or 700 people say out of millions of people. And so when we look at our population um, in Erie County is over 900,000, um, to have 3,000, over 3,000 real life non-bots, non, you know, someone filling out five surveys for, for you know, five, you know, gift certificates. But these are individual people that submitted their responses. That's huge. That is massive. But that's just a part of the story. So we're going to convene focus groups and these focus groups will be intentionally small, five or six people at a time, because we want everybody's voice to be heard. You gather a group of 20 folks, everybody's voice isn't necessarily going to be heard. And so we want the stories. Like, this is what the data says, but what does the life look like? How is that lived? We know storytelling is huge and impactful when it comes to making change. Um, politicians use it all the time, right? Oh, yeah, Joe on Main Street. And we, they, they do it all the time. So Let's, let's tell some real stories about real life people living in real life homes that should be abandoned, families that don't have the resources that they need, even though they receive resources from the county, right? Uh, what is happening in the lives of the people? So we won't just go into the Black community, right? We need to hear from young folks. We need to hear from older folks. We need to hear from men. We need to hear from women. We need to hear from queer folks. We need to hear from everybody. Uh, we need to hear from the leaders. We need to hear from the real leaders, right? And so the the goal is to be purposeful and allowing groups of people to get together. So block clubs, churches, you know, spades night. Like we will come and and chat and talk no matter where somebody is because we we want to tell the whole story. So that is the second part, like the second leg of um, this uh, data collection project uh, is to to let the people speak and be heard. And Kelly, I want you to, one thing is critical about that too is in order to get this, you have to make an investment, right? And so we're you know, both our organizations are investing real dollars to make these things, things happen. So I really want the community to understand that, that, you know, while we both lead these organizations and we have budgets and we have all this stuff, we're taking these dollars, a portion of these dollars. And because community engagement is so important and is so essential, we're investing, you know, dollars in people to actually do this work as well. So we're not, you know, we're not sitting here and just asking a bunch of volunteers to do everything. We're saying, okay, listen, your time is valuable, right? You, what you bring to the table adds value to what we're doing. And we have to, we ought to invest in that. And we're doing it in a collaborative way, 
right? And so, I mean, there's just so many stories. There's so much ground that we're breaking here, right? In terms of not only the work that we're doing, but how we're doing the work. Um, so just looking at the Witness Project and the work that they did, right? Uh, out of the 31, 3,200 responses, they collected 1,200. So almost half of the responses came from direct work um, from an organization that's focused on community. And so to your point, this wasn't a, a volunteer situation because it is a, a you know research data collection study. We could not compensate everyone in the way I feel people should be compensated for participating. But when it comes to the focus groups, we'll be giving gift cards out to, to folks. Again, I can't pay for what someone, for someone telling their story, right? There is no dollar amount that I can attach to that that truly reflects the cost of them sharing, right? So what I can do, though, is ensure that my staff um, honors those stories and honors that time that people spend sharing their lives and giving credit where credit is due. We could come up and retell some stories that we've heard, but it's necessary to begin to change the way that we do outreach, the way that we work with community. And one of the goals of the office is to purposely never leave anyone uncompensated or, um, and again, I, we, I can't pay someone the amount that they're worth um, to be able to to share with us their life and their expertise in in navigating the system, but I want people to know that their time is appreciated. Um, and that comes in many ways. That comes in showing up. That comes in, you know, when we get these grants that we're applying for, going back to the same community members so that they see that this work, we're serious about this. Everyone that uh, has been hired, regardless of the position, so administrative assistant all the way across, they came with community contacts. And so they use their relationships with folks to be able to advance the work. But what that means is I can't allow those contacts to be used by just any old body here at the county. Relationships are important. Trust is important. And I told folks here, like, if you have some contacts, let me say this in the right way, uh, ensure that your relationships with people continue to be valued, right? We are not here to turn over who we are as people and turn over relationships to people so, you know, folks here can run amok. Like it's still, it's still county government. It's still government. And we need to ensure the safety and privacy of folks. We need to ensure that when they're sharing with us, they know that that environment is safe. And so we're not giving up names. We're not giving up contact information. I'm not sharing with anybody who we spoke to. My staff doesn't do that because they are also a part of the communities. And we have to ensure that we're not doing harm by trying to do the work. So we do that in a way, one that um, lets people know that we care, but also in a way to maintain those relationships so that people know we say what we mean. It's tough. You know, all but one person came from nonprofit community-based organization work. And to now be a part of the machine that people don't trust has been tough for all of us. 
Right. And I forget and I'll start talking. I'm like, oh, yeah. wait, I am one of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, we are a part of the system. Right. We are the, we are the man. But, but yeah, one of the things that demonstrates and is that we have to use whatever tools and resources that are available to us to help our people. And that's what we're committed to doing. And, and while some may have philosophical and historical challenges with some of the people we may partner with, I get it. I do. And, and I'm not really willing to argue about that. But at, at some point, you have to understand that, you know, even when you talk about government, we as people of African descent, you know, who are citizens of this republic, uh, that's just say we the people. So, you know, while the government has maybe in the past and, and in present practices, uh, maybe has not been as favorable to us as we would have liked, but, but it's still there. We have a, the rights of citizenship and uh, it, not only citizenship of the county and the country, but the, the, the rights of citizenship of the human family uh, to uh, use whatever resources we can get our hands on to help our folks. And, uh, and that's what we're doing. This is not about rhetoric. This is not about uh, making philosophical statements. This is about really shifting and moving the system, digging at the root causes. And the real compensation for this entire community will be when we begin to start seeing closing the gaps around the disparities in diabetes, hypertension, uh, uh, maternal health, prostate cancer, all the different things, cervical cancer, heart disease, all the things that you'll see that they're just uh, black folks are just suffering uh, in just uh, uh, completely unacceptable uh, ways around these chronic diseases. And we have a responsibility and, and, and Kelly and I and others uh, we're putting ourselves out there and we're going to hold and the community can hold us accountable. This is the, the fight we have, we have chosen, uh, to take this fight on. And, uh, and, and if we can build the kind of collaboration and coalition that we need, uh, and we're doing it on a day-to-day -day basis, then we're going to, we're going to begin to, to move the needles on some of these, some of these outcomes. Just share again, where people can get that report and, and, and we can put the link up on our website too, right? So people can go to it as well. Okay. Folks can go to erie.gov slash health equity. And there's a link right on the webpage that says health equity reports. Click right there and it's available on PDF. And then our goal is to take this and uh, the, the survey and create infographics, chop down the data a little more so it, it's more consumable. Uh, and all of that will be on the website as well. So there's an option on the site at the bottom of the page for people to sign up for updates so they can do that and get updates on um, the report and infographics as well as like mental health first aid and any other um, pilot programming coming out of the office. I'm going to ask folks to not only to get the report, but get it and then, you know, Call some of your friends or, or if you're in your church, your community group, your block club, whatever it is, your fraternity, your sorority, and have a conversation about it, right? I mean, we talk about everything else. I mean, we've exhausted the conversation on who's the GOAT, LeBron or Jordan. So let's maybe let's talk about something else. <laughs> you know, you can get back to that. Just take a few minutes to, to engage in a conversation about what's in this report and what we can do as a community to... Uh, 
make ourselves healthier, more prosperous, not only for ourselves, but for the generations to come. So this is Pastor George Nicholas from the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. And if you want more information about our Igniting Hope podcast, about any of the work that we're doing at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, one of the things that about people like me and, 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 and Kelly is we're completely transparent. You know, if you see us in the supermarket or see us at church or whatever, you want to have a conversation about health equity, don't, don't, don't hesitate. You know, we'll, we'll answer your questions and, and don't operate on what you heard. I heard. No, ask. We're here. We're here. We're right here in the community. Come, come talk to us and we'll share with you uh, our knowledge because we're building a movement that we believe uh, will uh, transform uh, our communities and, and to uh, bring health uh, good health for all. So this is Pastor George Nicholas signing off for our Igniting Hope podcast, and we look forward to uh, our next conversation. Thank you again, Kelly, for joining us.